Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for that promise that just as we are, we can come to you, find your grace, find your love, find your mercy. It's a concept that's hard for us to understand and even harder for us to accept in the world in which we live. Lord, but may it be real to us in a powerful and tangible way, we pray. In your name, amen. Why does a wife ask her husband, even sometimes maybe in a playful way, do you still love me? Why does a child color inside the lines or dress themselves or sleep in their own bed for the night and ask the question, are you proud of me? And why do Christians people that proclaim to be followers of Christ, why do they still ask the question, am I still saved? In other words, am I still worthy enough, loved enough, good enough to be accepted into heaven? There, there is, it seems, a, in our sinful nature, a lack of trust that we are truly and unconditionally loved no matter what. A fear that we maybe are not truly loved based on some of the things we do or do not do. We were not built this way. We were built actually to, to trust love, but, but, but it is this way because of sin. Sin has, has done something in us that has caused us to doubt whether or not we are truly loved just as we are, as we just sang. Turn your Bibles with me to the book of Genesis. Of course, a familiar story to many of you, but Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve have participated in the first act of disobedience on this earth. Immediately, immediately they, they, they know something isn't quite right. They they recognize a change, whether, whether it be recognizing that they were naked or, or sensing it in their hearts, that something has gone wrong, something is amiss. Similar to we all now, when we do something that, when we mess up in some way, when we, we, we drop the ball in some way, there is something that naturally in us, that is inside of us, that senses that, that something is not right, that, that, that there's a disequilibrium in things. And when they hear a noise, their hearts become panicked. Verse 8 of Genesis chapter 3. They heard the sound of the Lord, this is Adam and Eve, God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. They heard the Lord coming and they hid. Why did they hide? Well, why do we hide? How many of us have had stories from our childhood or maybe other times in which we've done something that we shouldn't have been doing and our immediate gut reaction is to run and hide? Why? We're, it's a sense of fear. I remember uh, the time that I was in my house and I was throwing a baseball. I would throw the baseball up and I would run and I was practicing my dive catches. You know, I, was, I was diving just in case I'd ever have to dive in a game. And so I'd throw the ball up in the air, and I'd run, and I'd dive onto the couch, and I'd catch the ball. Well, I was playing with a real actual baseball, and my mom came in the living room, and she saw me doing this, and she said to me, 
you know, don't do that anymore. You need to go outside and throw the ball. Don't throw it inside. You're going to break something. And my response to her was like, okay, mom. And she walked out of the room, and I think it took me about 30 seconds to decide that I could handle it, and she didn't know how good a baseball player I was. And so I threw the ball again and dove and caught it and threw it again and dove and caught it and threw it again, and it bounced off the tip of my glove and off the back of the couch and right through the front window. And when I heard that window break, what do you think I did? I ran, tied. There was a fear in me that, that, that my mom told me, no, I did this, what's going to happen? There's this fear. And we have that fear in us. And, and Adam and Eve have this fear in them that, that something's wrong. They say to God, God, they hear God coming and they, they go and they hide from him. Why did they hide? They tell us here in verse 9. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And Adam said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. I was afraid. I knew something was wrong. I knew I was messed up. I knew I had disobeyed and I didn't trust that you loved me enough for us to still be okay. I didn't trust that you loved me enough for this relationship to still be okay. Do you still love me? Are you proud of me? Am I still saved? All these questions stem from the lie of Satan that we have to earn or prove we are worthy to be loved. All of these, these questions stem from the lie of saying that, that if we've messed up, then God is someone that we need to hide from or, or someone that we need, to, we need to, to somehow win back his love or his consequence or his, in his relationship. And that's what I want to talk to you about for a few minutes uh, this morning. The fear that Adam had in the garden, the lie that Satan places in us, that sin places in us, that God's love is not sure, that God's love cannot be trusted. This, this, this lie has driven some away from God completely. There are, there are people in this world today, there might be even someone in here today that, that has been distancing themselves from God because they don't believe God uh, is, can, his love can really be trusted. And, and they say, you know what, I'm such, I'm, I'm such a screw up. I'm so messed up that there's no point in me even trying. And so they begin to distance themselves from God. To those people that may be in here that are, have experienced that or maybe are even experiencing that now, that right now, I want to assure you that you are loved just as you are. We sang it. It's not just a song. It is reality. Just as you are, without any plea, no conditions. You don't have to run and hide from God. He loves you just as you are. But my focus today isn't is not to combat what this lie has done to those who have run away. But, but what I want to focus on today is to combat what this lie has done to those who have tried to stay near to God while at the same time believing an aspect of this lie. Turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2, the book of Ephesians, right after Galatians and right after Philippians. Ephesians chapter 2. Verses 4 through 10. The Bible tells us, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love which, with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our 
trespasses made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Brothers and sisters, we were created for good works. But some of us have tried to stay close to God. We have believed the lie that we must do those good works in order for God, in order to prove that we are worthy of God's love, in order to prove that we are worthy of God's forgiveness. Notice what the Bible says there in Ephesians chapter 2. It says, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love which, which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses. In other words, while we were still dead in our sins, Christ loved us. Not because of any work we had done, not because we were good enough, not because we were worthy, but simply because that is who he is. But I would dare say in this room, there might be some that have not trusted that love of God. And so they've tried to run and hide from God. But I would guess that there are even more in this room that have believed that lie of Satan, that God's love can't be trusted. And they become convinced that they must do certain things, that they must do certain good works in order to prove to God that he should love them. Do you really love me? Are you proud of me? Am I still saved? These are all questions that stem from our doubt that love is really unconditional. Now, maybe you wouldn't put it in those terms, but let me ask you this question. There's no need to raise your hands, but in your heart, you know the answer. Maybe you can relate to this. When I mess up, when I really drop the ball and, and really make a mistake. When I mess up, yes, I ask Jesus for forgiveness. Yes, I, I ask him to forgive my sins and to forgive my mistakes. But I also find that at times I feel better if I do something good to counteract the bad that I have done. Maybe this is something you can relate to. Now, is it wrong to do something good? Absolutely not. Paul said that, you know, God forbid that we should say that it's that, that doing good is wrong. But why do I have to do the good after I've already asked for forgiveness to really feel better? Why do I have to, 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 to make that extra step? God, I've asked for forgiveness, but I'm gonna do this extra thing just to prove to you that I'm really sorry. Because I, or maybe we, have believed the lie that we can't fully trust Jesus' love, and so we think we have to prove something to God. I've asked you for forgiveness, but now I'm gonna do something good to show you, to prove to you that I really am sorry, and then I'll feel more secure and more comfortable in my own skin. But y'all, the Bible said, God being rich in mercy because of the great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. 
By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved, it says again, through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works. We are saved by grace through faith. Faith in what? Faith that God's love is enough. That God's love is enough. What does grace even mean? Well, the dictionary says that grace means the free and unmerited favor of God. The free and unmerited favor of God. Folks, grace is not that is not just that thing that you get when you are a disgusting, revolting sinner. It is free and unmerited even when you're a respectable Christian that drops the ball now and again. You know, when I was a disgusting and revolting sinner, I knew that I needed grace. But sometimes now as a respectable and decent Christian person, sometimes when I mess up, I know that I need grace, but I also think maybe I need to do a little something extra to really make it right. But the fact of the matter is, is whether you're disgusting and revolting as a sinner or whether you are a respectable Christian that occasionally messes up, either way, we need the unmerited favor of God. Either way, it is grace because Jesus loves you. Not grace and your extra good deed. And you and I don't have to prove to Jesus that we are worthy of that love or that we have really accepted that love. But that is what so many in Christianity feel it necessary to do. Thus, we mess up and we only feel completely better not after asking for forgiveness, but after asking for forgiveness and then doing a little extra good work. We can relate this even within the context of our marriages or even within the context of our relationships. If we mess up towards our kids and we go and we ask their forgiveness and they say they forgive us, sometimes we feel like, man, I need to do a little something more to show our kids that or, or to our spouse. Maybe I need to, to buy some flowers to really, I know I've said sorry and I know I asked for forgiveness, but maybe I need to buy some flowers. And we turn that around and we do the same thing with God. God, I've asked you for forgiveness and, and, I, and I thank you for giving me, but I'm gonna do this little something extra just just in case, to really smooth it out for you, to make sure that you really know how sorry I am. But God's love doesn't need any of my help to love me, not even a little bit. God's love doesn't need any of my help to forgive me, not even a little bit. I don't have to show him I'm really sorry I don't have to show him that I'm, that I'm really repentant for him to forgive me. I mean, how many of us have said that prayer maybe in a, in a moment of crisis? Lord, if, if you forgive me, I promise I will try to do better. You can just nod your heads. Okay, good. Some of you out there. Why do we say that? Because we're trying to assure God, like, like no, I really mean it this time. I don't trust that your love is good enough is good enough to find me in the garden even though I've messed up and still be okay with me and still take care of me. No, he loves you, period. You know, the scripture that was read today is one of the most known scriptures. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him 
should not perish, will not perish, but shall have everlasting life. What is it that we have to believe in to be saved? Do we have to believe in God? Do we have to believe in, in Jesus? No, that's not what the Bible is actually saying there. There's, there's thousands of people, there's millions of people that will be lost that believe in God and believe in Jesus. The Bible tells us that even Satan and his demons believe in God and believe in Jesus. What the Bible is saying that we have to believe in is we have to believe in God's love, believe so much that God loves us and accept that love. It's not simply believing in God that we're saved by. We're saved by believing in his love. Believing that God's love, that that's it, that that's enough, that it's done, that it's finished, that it's a completed action by God and by God alone. A love so full, so complete, so real, that it would lead Jesus to die for you and for me. That type of love, folks, does not need you to prove you love him. That type of love is unconditional. The lie of Satan is that God's love cannot be trusted. This has caused some to run away from God because they say, I'm never going to be good enough. It's never going to work out. But for others, it causes them to do good works just in case they need to prove to God that they really love him. And that may be the boat more of us are in. Both the hiding and the serving in fear are a result of the lies of Satan, that God's love cannot be trusted. You know, I want a church full of people that are doing good works. I want to be a Christian that does good works. And I want everybody in here to be a church that, that does good works, that is serving in the church, that is serving in the community. I want a whole church full that's, that's going to go out and invite people to our meetings over the next two weeks. But I don't want a group of people, and I don't want to be a person that we're doing that because somehow we're scared of being lost. We're scared of being lost. Let me give you a personal example of my life where I've done this, where I've struggled with this. When Christine and I got married, I didn't wear a wedding ring. This little band on my, on my hand. For some of you all that may be new or unfamiliar with the Seventh-day Adventist faith tradition, here in the United States particularly, I know it wasn't always so in Europe or Australia or other places, but here in the United States particularly, when I was a kid, the majority of Adventists probably didn't wear wedding uh, rings or wedding bands of that sort. My parents still don't wear them. My, my uh, in-laws don't wear them. I have several friends that don't wear them. Most probably do wear them now, but there still are, are many that don't. But when I got married, it was still, there were still quite a few that did not, and I, and I didn't wear one, which wasn't too unusual. Christina wanted us to wear them. She wanted us to wear wedding rings, and I didn't want to, and that's a whole other story that I can share on, with you on another time about how to be a better nicer person about how to deal with things when you don't agree. But quite a while after I decided, quite a while after I decided that it was okay for me to wear a ring long after I, long after there, the, there was, when there was no conviction that I shouldn't wear one, when I'd read some of Mrs. White's statements about how it was acceptable to wear one within certain cultures, I still resisted. And I came up with reasons not to. It wasn't because I was worried about what people would think. In fact, the majority of people that I associated with wore wedding bands. Most of my peers in ministry wore them. Most of my mentors, even those that didn't wear them, told me, hey, if you don't have a conviction one way or the other, feel free to wear a wedding ring. 
Don't worry about it. But I still struggled to put one on. Even once I put on this little ring here, this wedding band on my finger, I struggled with it. I was anxious about it, and, and I was uncomfortable with it, and I was, I, was, I was nervous. And again, it was not because anyone said anything to me that, 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 that made me worried. I wasn't worried. No one had threatened me, like, hey, if you wear that, you're going to lose your job or, or anything like that. But it was because I saw, it was because I saw not wearing a band, a wedding band, as a good work. I saw not wearing it as a good work. And in the scriptures, uh, I can't remember the text right now. I'm trying to think of the text. But in the scriptures, Paul speaks of, you know, there's an acceptable way. You guys know this text? And there's the better way. There's an acceptable way and there's the better way. And when I thought about this, this, this wedding ring, I resisted wearing one because I saw wearing one is acceptable, that it was not a sin. You can wear one or not wear one and you're, you're okay. That it was not a sin. But I saw over here on this side, I thought, well, if I don't wear one, this is the better way. So wearing one's acceptable to God. It's okay, but not wearing one is, is the better way to do things. And you know, can I, I'll, I'll tell you the truth. I still believe that. I still actually believe that. Uh, I believe that if we lived in a perfect world with a perfect culture and a perfect society where men and women were respectful to one another and their relationships and, and, and how they courted one another and how they approached one another, then there would be no need for them. Uh, uh, I have not found that culture or that society yet, and so I, I wear one. But, but I thought, okay, this is acceptable, not a sin, totally okay, but this is the better way. And here's where I want to be honest with you. So I resisted wearing one, and then when I wear, wore one, I still would get bothered by it because I was worried. I was worried that this little band right here, this little good work, would potentially make it hard for God to save me because if I was doing acceptable and not the better, then would God really know that I was fully committed to him. If I put this ring on, would God really know if I wore this ring that I really loved him and that I really followed him with all my heart? You can go ahead and roll your eyes for a minute if you want. That's okay. Maybe it's not a wedding ring for you. Maybe it's something else, though, in your life. But you don't not do it out of conviction. There's, there's nothing there. I wasn't convicted. I wasn't concerned about what others would say. I had gotten past that. I just didn't trust that God loved me enough. And I thought, maybe if I do this, I'll be saying to God, I don't love you enough to trust you. And so I thought I need to do this good work to show God I'm really, really his. Y'all, I want all of us to do good works. But let them not be done because we believe the lie that God's love cannot be fully trusted. Let them not be done because we believe the lie that, that somehow we have to prove to God that we are worthy of his love. Last text, open to 1 John chapter 4. Let's look at it together. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 10. A powerful text, an important text for us to remember. In this, 1 John chapter 4 and verse 10. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us 
and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. This is love. Not that we have loved God, but that God loves us. Period. Nothing else. Nothing to prove. Completed the end. I pray that if you, like me, have struggled with believing the lie of Satan, that God's love cannot be fully trusted, that I have to prove something to God, I pray that each one of us will learn to understand what God's love really is. That God's not a God to hide from or God's not a God to prove anything to. He is simply a God that loved long before we even gave him a thought or a chance. Let us pray. Jesus, we thank you so much for your grace. We thank you for the grace of your love. Lord, we thank you for the fact that you accept our good works, however in whichever way they're done, but you, you really rejoice when they're done not out of fear, but out of an appreciation that we are loved completely and unconditionally. Lord, may we be a people that do good works, but may we do them because we know that we are loved and there is nothing, absolutely nothing, we can do to change that love. In your name we pray, amen.